Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast with your host, Rajan Nanavati. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Hail to the District podcast. As always, I'm Rajan, and he's Pat. And as you probably guessed from the title of this podcast episode, however you got here, uh, this is the first of a two-part look back at the results of the 2021 NFL Draft. More specifically, obviously, given this, the nature of this podcast, the players picked by the Washington football team. So for part one, we thought it'd be fitting to take a look at an exclusive, comprehensive deep dive or whatever you want to call it at Washington's first round draft pick. Linebacker Jamin Davis from the University of Kentucky. Uh, maybe share some of our thoughts on um, the other occurrences in the first round, but more specifically, just you know, kind of taking a deep dive into the player and, and, and understanding how he's going to fit and how he got here and all the other in-betweens. So, uh, Pat, I'll turn it over to you here to get your thoughts, especially after the dust kind of settled a bit and we've heard all the public commentary and reaction and stuff like that on the selection of Davis um, and to get, uh, again, your thoughts. Yeah, it's uh, doing draft post, post-draft post podcast is fun because, like, I don't care if you're a fan of the, of the Redskins or you're a fan of the Bears or you're a fan of uh, pretty much any team. You're going to be excited about your draft. Unbridled uh, unless, optimism. Yeah, unbridled optimism, unless probably, like, maybe you're a Raiders fan or a Seahawks fan, like, you know, or the Texans. Like, they just had all shitty drafts. Uh, but for the most part, 27 teams at least are, are going to be excited. And, and uh, my excitement level, I texted you, I think, the day of the third, I think the third round of the draft Saturday, I think I texted you. I was like, I am so excited for football. Like I wanted to start now. I think yes. we're better. Um, I would agree very much. And it so. goes back. It starts with Davis and Davis was an interesting draft pick. And I know we'll get into like what that means for the team, et cetera. But like there was a point. So the way I did the draft is um, three buddies of mine. I've mentioned the boo hogs, booze hogs on in previous podcasts. We all zoomed together. Uh, during during the whole draft, which was kind of which was awesome, but it, it's kind of funny because we're so used to picking at number two. So when we're talking about Zoom, we're like we'll be on the phone for thirty minutes and get off. No, we were on the phone. We were on Zoom for like three hours. I was gonna say yeah, at least two and a half hours in. Uh, uh, but you know when it got to pick eleven, whatever, wherever Fields was taken, you know everyone under the sun. I, I got a text from a Bills fan being like, "Are you guys gonna trade up for Fields?" Uh, I started to think we were going to get fields and I like started to not only think it, like I actually started to believe it. We started talking uh, about that same with me and my friends on our Slack thread for sure. Yeah. And I was getting super excited. Um, but I think Ron holding off was the right move, which I can talk, explain about later. Then we get to Davis. Uh, and if you are a Redskins fan and you're not excited about this pick, I'm not sure what else to tell you. I mean, you look at Ron's background, he was a linebacker. Look at Jack Del Rio's background. He was a linebacker. They've drafted Thomas Davis. They've drafted Keekley. Um, you know, they, so they have the history there. And then you add just like where our team is and how we're built. And when I go back to a podcast we did last year around Antonio Gibson and how they had a plan for him. They have a plan for Davis. And like, there's a reason people are already saying he's the odds on favor to win rookie of the year. Um, so, you know, from that standpoint, I don't think I don't think the only way it could have been better is if we somehow fleeced the bear. Uh, well, the Giants were never going to trade with us, but like let's say the Broncos into letting us trade up, or if Aaron Rodgers fell in our lap or something. I think it was the best case scenario. I think Davis is going to be awesome. And I mean, I'd be curious to your thoughts, but like I think this dude's going to be a stud. And you know, brick by brick, Ron's building this thing into a, into a long term juggernaut. I think the brick by brick maybe not, metaphor. Maybe not juggernaut, but like, I I don't think that's that much of an exaggeration. Even as someone who tends to be the pessimist in so many cases, like I really don't think that that's going to be that's that much of um of an exaggeration. So reacting to some of your thoughts, um, again echoing the same thing. You know, as Fields started to fall out of the top ten, you know, and I think um, so we were all joking when the Bears moved up to eleven. And one of my friends, I can't think it was my buddy Ari or it was John, one of those two, they were like, um, is Chicago stupid enough to take Mac Jones? And I'm like, I put nothing past Ryan Pace. Like Ryan Pace is a fucking moron in terms of when it comes to general managing. And of course he took Justin Fields, but there was a glimmer of hope in the sense that uh, Chicago would take Mac Jones there and then uh, Justin Fields would continue to fall. Then it kind of turned on its head because when Chicago took Justin Fields, I was like, 
shit, I hope Mac Jones doesn't fall to us and put us in that position. We had, we had the same exact conversation. Like, you know, Mac Jones. When the Patriots were on the clock, I was like, you better fucking take, take Mac, Mac Jones. Because I was like, I don't, don't want him. I don't want any part Worst of him Worst case here. scenario, he's on the board. When we're yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then I started to kind of get on board because another part that came through, so I don't know if you saw this, it was always the last minute random medical leak about uh, Christian Derisaw had core surgery right before the draft or two weeks before the draft. I'm like, there's one of them and I'm going to get to the other one, but there's another one of those like randomly medical leaks. Is the other one joke? Yes, it is. Um, But uh, that was like, so as I've said on multiple pods, I was like, Derisaw is not going to be there at 19. I'm like, now he is because of the stupid medical leak that happens. Obviously he was there. So I thought he was going to be the pick. Um, but I, I kept thinking Owusu Koromoa was a, was the was another like heavy favorite there. In fact, you know, kind of trying to. So Ben Standing of the Athletic, who's been an ace on mock drafts, and like just he's so incredibly connected I mean, with, with this type. With this he's stuff. kind of he's been so good though. The only problem is, and this isn't a problem; it's actually good for him. It's a problem for us. Is now the Athletic wants him to be like the all-encompassing mock draft guy so he's like yeah he focuses on the skins but like his attention was on all 30 teams um in formulating mine i tried to stay stay away from because i was trying to be as objective and like going by my own research as possible another conversation for another day but the three names he kept bringing up three or four names he kept bringing up were christian derisaw as i mentioned uh Jeremiah, Jeremiah Usakoromoa, Jamin Davis, and then Trayvon Morig, the safety from TCU. Those are the four names that consistently came up over and over again. So I'm like, all right, these are the proverbial final four guys. Um, I really did think it was going to be Usakoromoa. In my final mock, I put Usakoromoa. I really thought that was the direction we we're going to go in. Um, I, I kind of saw him. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. Um, I thought he was, you know, I, I went by the Shaq Thompson precedent. I was like, this just fits what he's trying to do. Um, but it's, Having said all of those things, um, Davis was clearly the guy all along. And I think Skins did a really good job of kind of playing poker with that. Um, it was, as you start to hear some of the stuff come out, like, you know, in the hours and days after the pick, like, you know, in, if you saw the video of um, Ron Rivera calling Davis's home and like they show the video of him picking up the phone, mm-hmm. he was talking about the conversation that the two of them had one-on-one. I don't know if it was in person or was on Zoom or whatever, but very much saying that like, you know, I told you we have a plan for you. It's exactly to what you're, point, what you're saying, Pat. And like, you know, the conversation that Rivera, Rivera and Davis had, he's like, I'm excited to build on that conversation. Um, a few people who are like, you know, draft quote unquote experts, I use that term loosely, but people who kind of do the draft full time were saying that in the days and weeks leading up to the draft, Davis became less and less and less of a secret as far as Washington's interest in him or like the likelihood. Are you talking, about, were, are you talking about Jordan Reed? Uh, Jordan Reed was one of them, actually. Yeah. Um, he was like Reed. worst kept secret. He tweeted that. I was like, uh, it was pretty secretive to me. <laughs> I was going to say, but like that's kind of people, you know, the, he, whoever he was talking to, um, whatever it is. And um, it also sounded like let's even take the fake heart problem. And I cannot stress enough that that's going to be complete fake news. When we look back on it in five years, this heart problem that Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa had, I think it's complete horseshit. I don't know what happened, how it happened, why it happened. That's completely garbage. Well, it's already been resolved apparently. Yeah. It, it's the stupidest thing. It's the, I call it the Derwin James or the Jonathan Allen, right? That like, all of a sudden, he has a heart problem, and then immediately after the draft, he doesn't have a heart problem, right? It was something – I think it was Derwin James and Jonathan Allen both had a back. Jonathan Allen clearly is, has has back issues. Yeah. Um, anyway, that notwithstanding, I think one of the other things that if you listen to Rivera's comments in particular, um, Rivera very much saw him as either the strong side, a.k.a. Sam linebacker on day one, or maybe even – the middle linebacker on day one, although it still sounds like that's going to be John Bostic. Again, another conversation we'll get to a little later. Um, and I think that with, in terms of like a guy like Usu Koromoa, he didn't fit as cleanly as we all presumed that he might've fit in this defense. I, I think, think he's, he's I mean, a guy that I know he slipped, the, the need. I know he slipped because of this hard thing, but I think there's real merit to teams being scared because of uh, Simmons. Uh, Isaiah Simmons joke, didn't play well. Joke was he's what two fifteen. I mean, two fifteen, I mean, maybe two twenty after a big meal, maybe. And like, and the teams are thinking, well, well, he could play some safety. He could play, you know, we we already have a high, we have a hybrid safety that plays linebacker. We, well, at least he's better there. We don't need we don't need two of them. I can't remember who said this, but somebody made a great point, and I wish I could give them credit, but I don't know who it was. So my apologies for I'm not trying to plagiarize your. I'll your take thoughts. credit. Um, 
they were saying that in a league where receivers are actually kind of getting a little bit smaller, we're moving to much more fast paced, spread based, smaller versions of offense. Why are we trying to get bigger and bigger on defense? You need guys who can cover space. I made this analogy. I was at my buddy John's house on, on Saturday night. And I, I obviously, they're not the same caliber player. At least I don't think they are. But when you start saying, I don't understand what position I can play that guy in, or I need this position over this position, this is how you draft Sam Bowie over Michael Jordan, right? It's the same logic if you look at it in that case, right? They're like, you know, the famous story, Bobby Knight, Stu Inman said, I need a center. And Bobby Knight said, well, play fucking Jordan at center if you think you really need one. Just take the best player. Coaches always talk about, well, I got to get the best 11 guys on the field. Okay, well, Owusu Kormoa, by most regards, was a top 10 to 15 player in this. And you're like, oh, I don't know where to play him. Make up your mind. I think it's terrible group think overthink. And um, you're just, you're trying to, you, you have this idea of, of who you want, but then when you have a player who might not fit your perfect profile, you're like, well, I can't do anything with him. And I think that's just, that's, that's intellectually lazy. That's my rant. Yeah. I think, who knows if we would have. It doesn't sound like we were in as many people were led to believe that we but were. But he in. was also, not to, not to say like, take the, I mean, Everyone says take best player available. That literally very few teams actually draft that way. They usually take best player available for the positions of need. Um, uh, I think there's a little – I think it's I think it's overlapped. There's a few teams that are dogmatically but, up with that, but it, but most, most teams do what exactly what you just said, yes. But, like, if we wanted to double down, Joke was there at 51. We were talking about that as well. As well. So we were on day two, my friends and I were like – do you double down the position? I was emphatically yes, emphatically. Because now you've you have turned linebacker from weakness into strength with dude two dudes there. Emphatically yes. Yeah. Well, we'll get not to, to take away from Cosme because we enjoyed that pick and we'll cover that in part two. But I actually, I wonder if we would have taken joke if Cosme wasn't there. Shout out to my buddy John Smalley. He was all over Cosme, and I was like, I didn't even know who he was. <laughs> Early draft, he was getting top 30 buzz. I think because everyone's sort of digging into the tape, he's, he started to drop into the second round. But like because, early, early Because he backpedals instead of actually sets his feet. Whatever. Uh, that's, what, that's what the Twitter GMs told me. Uh, but for, for Davis, I think he was always Ron's guy. I think you're right. Like, look at the parallels between the two, right? He, he played linebacker. His parents um, are Army veterans. Uh, you know – for everything I've read, he's a really extremely hard worker uh, and worked his, all the way up from, like, he redshirted, didn't play much as a freshman, then he kind of was, um, you know, I think he played, like, 60% of snaps as a sophomore, but he wasn't a starter. Yeah. And then then he starts all 11 games. He's only started 11 games total, which were all his junior, junior year, and he balls out. So you have a guy that, like, had to earn his way onto the field and – if you're not starting right away at Kentucky and like earning your way, like he wants to play football, you know what I mean? Uh, and then lastly, like, I just, think, I, I don't know the quote off the top of my head. It was something like you can't have a million dollar dream without a million dollar work ethic or something like that. Yes. I will uh, write that. I, I wrote that. It's funny. You wrote that because that one caught it's my It's such eye a too. great quote. Um, he said his favorite motto is you can't have a million dollar dream with a minimum wage work ethic. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. I never heard that. And I love it. I wrote that down. Yeah. It's such a good, it's such a good quote. And so like when you're talking about where's he going to play, is he going to be a middle linebacker? Is he going to play, you know, Sam, wherever. I think Ron, Ron has a plan. Ron said in his post game or post game, his post draft uh, presser that he was like, look, this kid's not coming off the field. And now, and now like once, now that the dust has settled and you start, you start really seeing people talk about like the full draft class, but also pairing the NFL draft with free agency. And now, like, I don't know if you saw Get Up this morning. I didn't. I only saw it. I only saw it. I didn't watch it. I just saw it on Twitter. Uh, uh, Mike Greenberg was like, look, look at the NFC East. Is there a better team than Washington? No, there is not. Like, he was like, they've done, they've done great in free agency. They had a solid draft. They're building something. Like, Ron's there to cut out the BS. He was like, if I'm a betting man, I'm taking Washington. And then I muttered to myself, don't look at our schedule. Uh, and then – I think it's your boy, Matt Miller of NFL Draft at NFL Draft Scout. He's, he's gone out on his own. Shout out to him. Props for doing all, yeah. going out, venturing on. He was ground. on, and he immediately was like, it's the best pick of the whole first round. He's like, I loved him. He's the second best uh, defender in the draft behind uh, Patrick Sertan to him. And he was like, if you're a betting person, load up the 401k and put it on 
Davis is rookie of the year for plus seven hundred right now. FYI, as of today, it's plus seven hundred. Plus seven. I mean, that's a great bet. Yeah, this dude, he's gonna have one hundred twenty-five tackles. All he's gotta do is chill behind, freaking sweat, young, Allen and Payne, and, and, and whoever their backups back. are gonna be. Ina is coming back, and then uh, the two guys we drafted at the end of the first round. Yep, and hopefully, and hopefully, Kerrigan. Uh, you know, he, he 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 was the only player in college football last year, or at least at the FBS level, to have over 100 tackles plus three picks. Um, you know, everyone under their sun showed the highlight of him picking off Tennessee and returning 85 yards for a touchdown. But, like, just watch him running down the – I mean, that's a linebacker. He's more athletic than everybody on that field in an SEC football game. So uh, – then, then you see a picture of him, and he looks like – he looks like a monster. He's fucking shredded, right? Like, he's just he's, fucking he's, shredded. He's DK Metcalf on the defensive side. So, uh, pro day numbers, 6'4", 235, 4 pounds, 42-inch vertical. 42-inch vertical. That's insane for a linebacker, right? That's insane for a DB, let alone. Like, Rondell Moore, uh, granted, he's only 5'7", but when he did a 42-inch vertical, everyone lost their shit. This is a linebacker at, at 235 pounds with a 42-inch vert flat four four forty time um so there's this new site that's caught in a lot of fire because they do a really good job it's almost hard to navigate but like they do they do awesome work it's um ras something or other but relative athletic score they were all over twitter over the like the week leading oh yeah um anyway so um not only did they rank um Damon Davis, number 12 in terms of his aggregate athletic profile overall of any player in this draft at any position. There was the 12th best athlete, again, at any player at any position relative to his, his measurables and stuff like that. They ranked him as the 15th best which was, line. Which was, a, which was a theme. Very the much a theme that we'll be talking about more. Yeah. Um, but in addition to that, they ranked him as the 15th best linebacker in terms of relative athletic score Since in like the last 25 years. No, 35 years, excuse me. The last 35 years of players taken, he was the 15th best overall athletic profile when you match up all the numbers. Like, that's – I mean, you're talking freak show athlete. Um, ESPN's next-gen stats gave his athleticism – old skins. No, I was just going to say, so uh, ESPN's next-gen stats, in terms of their profile of 100 when they give players a 0 through 100 athletic grade, uh, Davis was a 99. Um, And, yeah – so, and yeah, so in number 12 in the draft, number 15 in, since 1987. Uh, so a couple of guys in this draft, like Jason, although he's going by his, I think his real name is Odafe, uh, but Odafe Oe, Jason Oe from Penn State, the, the edge rusher, right? He was like a 4-3 edge rusher, and like everyone's like, oh my God, this is like an athletic freak. Uh, Jamin Davis's athletic profile ranked higher than his. Like, athletic freak. And... Um, I'm going to talk more about the comp in a second, but one comp that I loved. So I'm a, I'm a fan of Daniel Jeremiah. Anyone who has heard me or read my work knows that I think he does a great job for exactly what you want him to do in terms of like being a scout who can kind of bridge that gap with the fans. He compared him to, and I think he does the best comparisons of anyone far and away in the, that industry, right? He compared him to Darius Leonard of the Colts. Darius Leonard of the Colts is a fucking phenomenal player. And if you really go look at the scouting reports and if you just did a blind, take the name off, take the schools off, everything else comparison side by side, they're the same goddamn player except for like one or two small variables we'll talk about momentarily. Uh, Darius Leonard, I still remember that game in 2018 when the Colts came and played us in game two or game three. I think it was the opener at FedEx. I think, he, I think it was two. Think he two, yeah. shredded us. He absolutely killed us that game. And that still sticks in my mind. And uh, when I saw that comp and I started like reading, like, is this real? And I'm like, holy shit, these are really the same guys. I'm, I, I couldn't love that more. So, um, so yeah, great stuff. Uh, I've and, seen, I've seen that comparison. I've seen a couple, I've seen a Kiko Alonso comparison, which I was I like, saw mm, I can't remember who I that can was. See it. I did see it. Uh, but the, the athletic free thing, which obviously we'll touch on our next podcast because everyone we drafted is just stupid athletic except for Cheeseman. Uh, Who's the best athlete? But the, yeah, his name is Cheeseman. Long snapper. Uh, but so when when we drafted him and like you sent over your, your outline, we were talking about, you know, just how athletic this guy I was. Like, which I, I started thinking about, you know, from a linebacker's perspective, who are some of the most athletic linebackers that we've had as, a, as an organization, right? And my first – anytime I hear linebacker in athleticism associated with the rest of it, the first person I think of is LeVar. I was going to say LeVar. That was a so when, when we took him, we took him two or three. 
two. Regardless, we took him to yeah two, and then Samuel's at three. Um, and Peter Warwick at four. When we took him, he was you know heralded as the best college player. A lot of people thought he was going to go one oh, before. Was it Brown? Courtney Brown. What was the guy's name? Courtney Brown. Yeah, a lot of people thought Lavar was actually going to go one. Um, a lot of people thought Lavar should have gone then, one. Yeah, and then like you you go look at his college highlights and. The one that always pops out to me is him blocking field goals. Yeah, See number Lee. 11 coming over the top. LeVar Lee blocking. Get this. Davis ran a 4-4-8 at the combine. LeVar ran a 4-5-7. Okay. So that's a, a, basically a full second slower. Uh, uh, second. Not full second. Four tenths of a second. Excuse me. Uh, Which matters. People think it's like, oh, tenths of a second. It, it, that actually matters quite a lot. bit. That's a lot. Yeah. Especially covering tight ends in this yep. league. Uh Davis, 42-inch vert. LeVar, 34-inch vert. Think about the difference in athletic profile. And we all, like, like I thought LeVar Arrington was the most physically gifted player we ever drafted when, he, when, we, when we got him. I was like, Arguably. oh, my God, we're going to win Super Bowls on this guy's shoulders alone. Uh, and then I'm not sure we ever went to the playoffs with him, but that's another story. Uh, he might have been on one of the Gibbs teams. 2005? Uh, yeah, he, he probably was on that team uh, before his knees blew out and he – had it falling out with old Danny boy. Uh, but that just to me was like, and maybe, maybe we're the older Redskins fans on Twitter now, but like, I immediately was like, Holy shit. This dude is like, not only just a little bit more athletic than LeVar, he's like significantly more athletic than LeVar was. And then you add in the physical freaks we just had, like he's going to eat man. he's going to fly around that field. He's going to, he's going to have so, he's going to have so many tackles. Uh, plus 700. Like I'm going to bet on him right now. Especially because and you're not relying. Ron knows, Ron knows what he's going to do with him. Especially because you're not relying on him to be like the quote unquote quarterback of the defense, right? Like John Bostic, you know, he's been, we've had a very love hate relationship with him over the course of the last season. He's coming back. I think he's, he's that, he's that band aid, he's a band aid player that like you can trust him. You know, he's not good, but you can trust him to just not fuck up that much in terms of mentally. He's not going to give you anything great physically. Um, he's going to screw up a few times, but he's going to do more good than bad. But it, especially now that you're bringing him back. Now you've got the old head in the middle flanked by Jamin Davis on one side at the Sam and Cole Holcomb at the will, who, um, you know, I, I think that that represents at least the other, the opposite two guys, the young guys. Holcomb's fast too. Yes, all of a sudden we have a lot of speed on there. Which just, assuming, given no one, the, assuming no one gets hurt, the havoc that our front, our front four can generate or the fact that they can occupy so many blocks. I mean, how many times have we talked about that our linebackers couldn't shoot gaps, couldn't make plays in space, couldn't run with athletic players, just couldn't get to the ball carrier after the defensive line did their job. That was a recurring theme of last year when we couldn't stop anyone from running the football. We have instantaneously made that position so much better. Heaven forbid we actually find a middle linebacker uh, replacement over um, John Bostic whenever, whenever that happens. Not to mention the fact whatever we're going to get and run support from Landon Collins and whatever whatever way they choose to use him or not choose to use him. Sounds like Collins might play more linebacker than he wants. Yeah, or they might just ship. They might just play him this year. Say like, I don't really care if you think like it or not. You're going to play this year, and then we're going to cut you after the season's end, which I think is going to happen. Uh, Going back, you mentioned on the culture component. so I think shout out to Brent at Burgundy blog where he made a great comment. He was like, everyone connected Uusikoromoa to the Washington because I think one of JOK's parents were in the military. They're like, lest we forget that both of Jamin Davis's parents were in the military. So that connection is very much there. I'm covered. Um, yeah. Uh, you, a couple of things, right? So Mark Stoops, who is the, I think he's the brother of Bob Stoops. And um, he's a head he coach is. over there in Kentucky. And he was talking about how like, I think you alluded to this that like Davis just continually worked his ass off to get better and better and better and like put in the time to be a better player. Um, There's a quote from his position coach. His name is John Summerall, no relation to the legendary Pat Summerall. Um, But he was talking about the fact that like, you know, over the course of time, it wasn't just about the fact that he developed himself as a player, but he would come in early to his meetings to not only learn the defense, to watch film of the opponents. Um, He put it upon himself to not only be fully prepared every single game for himself, but to know what other players were doing um, all over his own defense and what the other players were doing on offense in terms of, you know, uh, combating them. And the quote he used, which I loved is he prepared like he was on a mission, which is a literal polar opposite of the way Dwayne Haskins prepared. So that is always going to be a good thing for me. You see who his quality control coach was? I did not see that. Greg Minuski. I saw that somewhere. Now that you say that, that does ring a bell. But yes, everything yeah, comes full a, circle. He's a he's a quality control coach for uh, 
on the defensive side for uh, for Kentucky. I saw that and was like, oh, of course, fucking Mendoza. Yeah, the the military thing. I just like I keep thinking about the comment. We should. I mean, I I had us picking Darisol for the record. You know, you and I talked about it. I was like, I think Darisol will be there. You were like, he's gonna be gone. Um, I also was holding out hope we were in draft the left left tackle because I was like, if we if we just get a left tackle, our, our line sweet. There's no way around it. Where was I going with this? I just drew a blank. Oh, it's uh, fine. If it comes to you, just cut me off. Oh, one. oh got, it, got it. So when we drafted Davis, I – so, like, similar to you, like, I knew Standing had linked us to him. Kime, Kime had mentioned either Joker or Davis multiple times. Yep. And I had seen, actually, Davis mock to us. On, I would say, like, 15% of the mock drafts I looked at, Davis was there. As, as So he there was enough smoke where people were like, okay, this may happen, but most people – I actually saw one mock draft where we got him in the third round. <laughs> that was never going to happen. The consensus um, was, not to cut you off, the consensus was that, like, Davis is going day one. Like, that was a consensus among people who I trust when I read them. That they're like, Davis is going, uh, is going day one. Um, I, as I said, I didn't believe it as much. Well, I actually had Davis falling about, like, five or seven picks down. I think I had the Saints picking him because I thought they were going to go defense. Obviously, they went with edge rusher and a reach. That's kind of their MO. But anyway, continue. Yeah. Well, my, my point is uh, when we drafted Davis, the, my first thought was, one, our defense, like, is about to explode. It's going to be an elite defense. If everyone stays healthy, our defense is elite. Um, I also really like the kind of, like, safety pieces we're building there. I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, maybe not a stud yet, but, like, there's pieces. Interchangeability. Uh, but the piece that I thought of immediately was last year when Ron Rivera, I don't know if it was, like, week four or five, he just ripped the linebackers after yep. a game. And, and, you know, he was like, they're, they're not instinctive. They're not just like trusting their eyes. They're, they're steps slow. And he was clearly furious with our linebackers almost for the entire season. Thank God we were able to get home, home so much from Kerrigan and, and Young and Sweat and, and Payne and Allen because our linebackers, I mean, Cole Holcomb had a couple of good games, but he was hurt for a little while, came back, and then he basically was Jekyll and Hyde. Sometimes he was great. Sometimes he was kind of shitty. Bostic was, well, he's Bostic. Uh, KPL was good in coverage, but then he, I think he like ripped his hamstring up later in the year. And then I don't, did, I'm not even sure he played in the playoff game. I don't think he did. Um, yeah. And like, and if he did, he was barely noticeable. Y- yeah. I thought we were going to resign KPL because I think Ron liked him. I thought we were. Of all, I, of all the linebackers, I think Ron liked KPL the most. Uh, but then once we left, we had a glaring, not only a glaring needed linebacker, but a glaring need for a linebacker who could run and stay in coverage. And then I just kept thinking about that run quote because he was like, our linebackers can't do shit. They can't cover. They don't know where they're going. They don't trust themselves. And then you watch Davis's film, and he's literally everywhere. Um, you know, shedding, ta- shedding blockers in the backfield. There's a highlight where he's mul- – there's multiple highlights where he's running step stride for stride with Kyle Pitts, um, which <laughs> – by the way, if you're going to try to start with that guy, you're – You're doing something. You're doing something. So, like – and then, I, you know, obviously, as any good fan did, I basically talked myself into the fact that he'll probably be, you know, better than Brian Urlacher uh, or Luke Keekley, uh by the end of the night after a couple of beers. Yeah. And the play I thought of the most was the fucking bootleg that the Cowboys run 14 times a game that we get shredded on 14 times a game. I have nightmares of Romo and, and Dak just – dumping it off to Witten for 10 yards every game. And now we have a linebacker who can make up that ground. Like if he gets fooled, he can make it up and it's a five yard gain instead of, you know, 10 to 15. Your comment about Witten is, so, is, is particularly apt because as we've said, this, the Achilles heel for this team, as is many teams are like, we couldn't cover tight ends up to save our fucking lives. Right. For so long. Huh. And cause we didn't have anybody at the linebacker position. And one of the things about the Sam in particular in a 4-3 defense is that it is lots of times lined up, A, to play in space, but B, more importantly, to go mano a mano with a linebacker. And now you have that proverbial chess piece that you can line up a guy with, again, legit 4-4-1 speed. Yeah, I, oh, I hate that damn big I think about uh, last year we played the Eagles opening day, and the Eagles went right down the field and scored in the opening drive of the season. It, I mean, Wentz looked like he was about to be the best quarterback in the history of the world, uh, which obviously did not happen. Uh, but he threw a touchdown pass to Ertz in the opening drive. Tight ends just have dominated us for 
as long as I can honestly remember. I don't remember a time. Fletcher, like, was okay at covering, but he was mostly just really good at recognizing what was going on and actually covering. Uh, he also played with his hair on fire quite a bit in terms of the run support, but yes. Yeah. So now, But, like, now we have two linebackers that can move. And KPL could move, but, like, he wasn't as athletically gifted as this kid is. Nowhere near it. Not even close. I mean, what, 15th most athletic linebacker in the last 30 years or whatever it is? I mean, that's ridiculous. In if, terms you're of- being told, if you're being said, told, or, like, described as a physical freak and you're being drafted in the first round of the NFL where all 30 picks are physical freaks, you're, like, at the peak. Right. Well, considering that of every player you were ranked in the top 11 or 12 of all athletic freaks in this draft, again, that, that speaks volumes to the overall um, painting that you present. Um, going back to the comps, right? So I talked about Darius Leonard. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah was, I think you mentioned this earlier, he was very effusive. He was the one, I think, that went on NFL Network and he's like, my early favorite for rookie of the year is Jamin Davis is this pick among Matt Miller and other people like that. Right. Um, so Dane Brugler, who is the resident in-house draft guru for the athletic does an amazing job every year. He writes this massive 400 page draft guide that's available for free for athletics or subscribers. If you're not subscribing to the athletic, you should, we don't get any money for, for promoting them. We're just fans of their service, big fans of their service. Um, he compared him to Zach Cunningham with the Houston Texans. And before the casual NFL fans like, Oh, who the hell is Zach Cunningham? I've never heard of him. Zach Cunningham led the NFL tackles last season. So if you haven't heard of him, that's your own fucking fault. Right. Um, he's a, a really, really good player. Maybe he doesn't get the pro bowl pro bowl is full of shit anyway, so I don't care. Um, but he's a very nice player. And so that was Dane Brugler's comparison. And then Logan Paulson, again, for what it's worth, I take this with a massive grain of salt, more so because of where the source he went on versus Logan Paulson himself. Logan Paulson went on 106.7 The Fan, not the bastion of intelligent sports talk, but it is what it is. He went there and he compared um, Jamin Davis to Levante David. Of the three comparisons, I think the Levante David one is the, is the weakest and the loosest and dare I say the laziest, right? Again, Logan Paulson played in the NFL a lot more than I did, but I don't think, I think that's the least apt, but that's a really nice picture to paint between the three of them. Again, I do think the Darius Leonard comp, outside of one thing that I'll talk about momentarily, is the most accurate in terms of who or what Jamin Davis will bring to the field. I just, uh, I've watched probably one or two Colts games in the last two or three years, and it's one of them was when we played and then like, catch tidbits of them when they're on red zone and that's kids are playing or, or, you know, what have you, just various NFL watching. Uh, the Colts defense last year was, was a treat to watch. I mean, they were was really great. great. They were great. They were fun to watch. They flew around. And at the heart of it, every single play was uh, your boy, Darius Leonard, right? I mean, he was – he's at the heart of it, that entire defense. You give us a linebacker like that, and I think it was uh, – uh, Brian, uh, what's his what's his name? Baldy, Baldinger. Yep. Uh, you know he he's kind of a lunatic, but he's kind of he's a you know he's a fun. His film sessions are so much fun. They'll make you. He, so, he can hype everyone, and I'm like, whatever. It's yeah. just fun to watch. Yeah. They're so he fun sh- to watch. He, yeah, they are fun to watch. And he was on uh, uh, ESPN the other day, and he was like, "What's what is there not to like about the Washington football team's defense?" He's like, "You just put a physical freak in the middle of it when they have." four to five bona fide studs up front. Like we're going to be, people are going to be doing podcasts a year from now being like watching that, that football team defense on red zone is such a treat because that dude Davis is in the middle of fucking everything. Um, Chris Ballard, you know, I said, I was at, I was at the, uh, the reference of some of my friends, John house, John's house over the weekend. I said it over, over and over again. I'll say it to anyone who listens, Chris Ballard's the best GM in the NFL. It's hands down. Uh, that guy does not play. He's a fucking gangster in terms of a GM. Just he's so smart in the way he executes things. They have a very clear vision of who and what they want to build their team. They have Frank, him and Frank Reich are in lockstep in terms of the type of player they want, the way they're going to build their football team. The synergy is amazing to watch. It is so difficult to accomplish that, especially with a crazy ass owner like Jim Mersey, who is is fucking nuts and they're still able to do that because Ursa is like he's off doing his prescription medication pills in the corner and Chris Ballard is running that team in lockstep with his head coach uh, he is a dogmatic believer of the best player available fuck the position outside of quarterback um, he took quitty pay I liked him I didn't love him as a player but that was the best player available on their board who coincidentally matched a very big position of need um, I do believe that was more best player available versus like oh you know best player available again at a position of need, but they took a pass rusher to already supplement a very, very good defense. Yeah. Sticking with the Davis piece, 
You have to give us, you have to give a grade on the first round pick. What is it? Oh, I hate this. This is the one exercise I hate more than early, than January mock drafts. January mock drafts are probably the most, I think I hate second most in next day draft grades. I have to give it, I'm going to it's give just, this. I'm not getting, I'm not asking for the whole, the whole no, draft. No, just, just Jamin Davis. Right? Just Davis. If you want I, me to go first, I will. Go, go for it. I'll give you an A minus. Okay. I think that's fair. I'm really excited about the pick. I think he is perfect. Like Ron knows exactly what he wants to do with him. I think he, he fits our team. He, he could be a butterfly stud. The only thing holding me back from going higher is Fields was available at 11. Mm-hmm. And like as much as Ron keeps preaching, we're doing this brick by brick. Although he has said multiple times, we did think about trading up. Although the Giants never would have traded with us. Um, although the Eagles did trade with the Cowboys. So you never know. Yep. Um, but the only thing keeping me away from going higher than A minus is just field. There was a potential to land fields, and we didn't do it, uh, which I'm okay with. Like I still think it was a great draft. I, feel, I still think Davis is a great pick. Uh, but I think the only the only A plus scenario would have been if we'd gone to get one of those quarterbacks. Um, so I'll go A minus because there's a reason behind the pick. He's a freak, and he's just making our strength even better. Before you even said this, I was going to say that I, I vacillate between B plus and A minus, depending on what mood you catch me in, right? And it's not for the field scenario. I actually, while in an objective vacuum, love the idea of going up, burning one of our third round picks to move up to go get Justin Fields. Objectively, I think that would have been a very intelligent move if we were able to execute it. As a quick aside, it was really interesting because so many different people, um, well, so many different media people who just kind of echo whatever they're hearing from Lucy sources were saying like how, you know, connected we were to Trey Lance um, in particular. And I'm a very big fan of his work. Uh, Michael Lombardi, former GM of the NFL. He took a bunch of big L's in this draft, a bunch of big yeah, he's L's. He's a crack shit. He, he, he'd lost a lot of credit. And again, I'm a fan of his. I like his work. I like listening to him, even though he shits on Washington all the goddamn time. I still like listening to him. He took a bunch of L's. It was really hard to like go back and look at his, everything he said. Um, so, where I'm going with all of this is a bunch of people are connecting us to Trey Lance. And like, there's a lot of smoke that we're going to trade up for Trey Lance. And we're looking at exploring trades in the top 10, talking to Detroit number seven and stuff like that. Rivera all but said that we were not looking at Trey Lance. Like that was not one of our dudes. They had a press conference and like, we were, we're going to draft, if we're drafting quarterback, he's going to be experienced. Uh, that was one, that. but he almost overtly said that if there was a quarterback we were going to move up for, it was Justin Fields. And so I think that's. Also, Kime, Kime. Kyle was all over fields. He's like, he's the only quarterback they're interested in. Yes, he, he did say if that. If Kyle says it, it's true. Yes, exactly. Agree to all of the above there, right? So I think um, that was interesting. But my grade on uh, Davis's selection is an A minus B plus, not for the fact of like the opportunity cost in terms of who we could have or should have drafted at that position. It's the only two knocks that I have against him as a player and the two like red flags, whatever you want to phrase it as. Um, There's two different components. Uh, Number one, we've touched on this. It's the one year wonder aspect, right? So Davis played very sparingly as a freshman, um, played in a reserve role player capacity as a sophomore. And I don't want to take anything away from him because he was incredible last year, but he technically didn't quote unquote earn the position, if you will, as a junior, there's a freak occurrence where the starter had a stroke or something like that. And it was actually one of his really good friends. Um, and like they were like, you know, position mates or something like that. And if you, if you go back and look, um, Davis changed his Jersey number to the player who had the stroke uh, in honor of him and Davis was the next man up if you will and he of course went out and went and balled out now it's not like the coaches were forced to go from you know Trent Green to Kurt Warner and all of a sudden Kurt Warner turns out to be this MVP that no one would have realized again the story was that Davis was an incredibly greatest hard show greatest show on turf uh, was an incredibly hard worker and he earned it but it wasn't necessarily like he beat out someone again I don't want to take anything away from him but all of this goes back to say that he's only really played at this incredible level for one year. And that's a little dangerous just from a body of work perspective. And I touched on this a few times. The reason why I stray from the Darius Leonard comp um, is because Darius Leonard was a stud at South Carolina state granted at the FBS level or whatever they call it for three straight years, right? Like he was all conference, all whatever in that, whatever they call that FCS or whatever it is 
um, for three years. And yeah. that's the only like only I still difference. call it Division One AA. <laughs> whatever, however they refer to it, South Carolina State, whatever they play in, right? Like he was there for three years. He was a, a player for all three years. He just because he was a small school, everyone overlooked him. Uh, in fact, I think Bleacher Report called the selection of Darius Leonard one of the worst second round picks ever. Um, right after it happened, which is why I hate draft grades, right? So um, or immediately after draft grades because we all saw how that worked out. So that's part one, because that one year aspect of like, is it just a flash in the pan? I don't think it's a flash in the pan, but the question has to be asked. Number two, in terms of the way um, uh, Davis plays. So it's really interesting because you, you talk about the four four one speed and it's legit. Like if you go, go watch his highlights, you can find plenty of them on YouTube. Go listen to what anybody says. Go You're just trying to strive Kyle Pitts. Right. You can see. He's very fast. But where I was going with the Levante David comp that Logan Paulson mentioned among others, He's straight line fast with linebackers, especially in space. There's, you know, in the NFL, they talk about quick, not fast, fast, not quick and things like that. And I think that goes to like the lateral agility component. Like how fast can you go from start to stop, to stop, to, to, or start to stop, to start again, or whatever it is. Right. But like, how fast can you quickly change speeds? If you watch Davis and watch very closely, his first step is kind of slow, like kind of slow, but he hits 60 on that second step instantly. Right. But he's not that pinball. That's just like, that's going back and forth. Speedy Gonzalez style at this high speed all the time at a certain speed, if you will, if any of that made sense, hopefully. Right. Um, So, and so that's one, it's what they call lateral quickness. He isn't twitchy. He's more like straight line fast. And there was one like smaller, like, red flag that kind of layers into this was that he ran all of these drills. He aced all these athletic drills. He opted not to run the three cone drill, which is a very big measure of that lateral agility, start, stop, start type of timing, right? He opted out of it. It's not that he was injured. It's not that he didn't, like he couldn't, he just opted out of it. And there's a conspiracy theory or whatever you want to call it that that could have shed his athletic numbers in a more negative light because it'd be like everything else is great, but except for this one. So take that with a grain of salt. But if I'm going to knock the player, which is why he's not the perfect player, no one is, but those are the two things that kind of stick out to me. And again, I don't want to take anything away from him because there's incredible talent to work with, but those are just the two things to kind of keep an eye out for and, and, and as we view his development over the X number of years. Well, hopefully that doesn't matter because our defense line will just eat people and then he can just run straight to the run, shoot, shoot the gaps and blow shit up, right? That's best case yeah. scenario. Don't think, just kill. Uh, again, so I vastly, I mean, it's, it's, if you ask me to make a B plus versus a minus comparison, again, it just really just depends on mood because I can make arguments for both, but it's, you know, I'll call it a solid 90 out of a hundred to, to hedge my bet. Right. And with my 10% only being that like, I'm just a little, again, pessimistic, skeptical or whatever, or like just trying to look at the big picture of that, those two things I mentioned, but otherwise it's not like I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, they should have taken Usukormo or oh, they should have taken Derasaw. I'm actually less fond of Derasaw the more and more I was kind of watching him and, and, and seeing some stuff on him than other people were, even as a Virginia Tech guy. Um, I think there's a little bit of looks like Tarzan. No, who's, no who's drafted it only the second time in like the last 40 years. Hate to see it. Yeah, I didn't see a single name, even in the pre-draft process of like from UVA in terms of like any prospects. Snowden, Snowden would have been drafted, but he broke his ankle oh, yeah. late in the year. And he just, I think he's not with the Bears, but he was the only, he probably would have been like a fourth or fifth round pick. Dylan Moses but, from Alabama didn't get drafted either. That was a big one. That was a big surprise. Also, we'll yeah. save the we'll save the Jarrett Patterson conversation because that's another really interesting one. Uh, Jarrett Patterson. We can do that. We can we can add that to we'll call it we'll call it rounds two through eight. Yeah, so I'm saying well he's he he falls into the part two conversation for sure. Um, you know he's boys with uh, Chase Young. Yeah, he, he grew up in uh, in Gl- in Glenmont, or like yeah, he's he from said, this area. Apparently, apparently he was like, uh, uh, yeah, or apparently Chase Young was like, yeah, I. I talking about to, to Ron. So it's kind of like Clinton Portis saying that we should draft Sean Taylor just on a much different level, right? Well, well, if it is the same level, sweet talk him up. He's automatically the best running back we've ever had. But yes, I, I, I definitely, like I said, solid 90 out of a hundred. Um, and it's funny because uh, there was a lot of solid picks. I mean, I'm going to talk about some of the picks in round one that kind of just caught my eye in it. Um, but I, it's again, I don't, I don't think there was anyone where I'm like, oh, we should have taken this guy. Like, it wasn't like I remember the only reason I would criticize the Duran Payne uh, pick, and again, 
Deron Payne's awesome, and he, we, I hope to re-sign him, and he's been an awesome player. Last year it was his breakout year, although not to say that his previous years were bad. Playoff pain. But I'll just look at him and be like, Derwin. Derwin James, right? Like, that's the, Derwin's always hurt, though. He hasn't played like two I know, years. I know, I know. But just the idea of it, right? And I'm like, Derwin James just is such a fucking animal. Um, at least in the one year that he played really, really, that was it. He was available for the entire well, season. Well, be prepared for me to ask the full-on grade in our next podcast when we look at rounds two through eight of what I will prepare for that accordingly. Um, just you don't have to prepare for it. Just know I'm going to ask. Couple of picks um, to highlight real quick. So everyone talks about Detroit as like the big winner of the draft. Detroit, Chicago, and I'm like, I get the Chicago thing just because they traded up to get Justin Fields. I think that's a big CYA by Ryan Pace um, in terms of like buying, get, you know, buying some more lives on his nine lives that he's extended himself so far. So, but they had to because you can't roll with a red rifle as QB one as the social media joke I mean, goes. You can. You can. You just don't it's expect to get anything. Smart. Yeah. Um, the team that I really, really thought, which a lot of people were like, eh, they did lukewarm, and I completely disagree. Um, Carolina surprised a lot of two people by taking the cornerback around in round one, JC Horn from South Carolina. I did not see that. I, everyone's like, Oh, this was a, you know, everyone thought that I'm like, bullshit. I've read it way too much for my own health. And I didn't see that connection anywhere. Like all I saw was offensive line or Justin Fields for Carolina. It went Horn and then Sertan right after him, right? Uh, yes. Sertan went to nine at Dallas, uh, which uh, which were to Denver, which were my two of my favorite picks because I honestly believe the Cowboys panicked and didn't know what to do. Hundred percent. That's why they traded. That's why they traded to Philly. Uh, Denver totally surprised everybody in Dallas. To poop their pants at that point. I'm going to another poop their pants team in a moment. Um, but they thought that was their guy. Everyone assumed Sertan was going ten to Dallas. I loved because I did really like Sertan as a player. So I love the fact that he did not end up in Dallas. Um, I thought it was a good move for Dallas to trade back. Objectively speaking, um, I was very salty that yeah, the Eagles they, traded up to get. They DeAndre fucking Smith. traded the Eagles so they get Parker. You get or Smith. Are you kidding me? Pissed me off. Marty Smith. Yes. I then I, yes, exactly. I was very, very, so I was very angry at all three of the NFC East first round picks. Um, Philadelphia getting Devonte Smith, Dallas. Let's just hope the screw is as loose as I think it is with Micah Parsons. Cause if the screw is not loose and it's tightened and he turns out to be the player, everyone thinks he can be fuck. Right. I mean, let's just hope He's a that He's a lunatic in so many different ways, but if he's a, a lunatic in a good way for them, that is a big, big problem. Um, and then the Giants getting a lot of uh, – I think they picked up a future one, if I'm not mistaken, as part of the trade back. They did. They and, have, next year they have two ones, two threes, and two fours. And so that's a lot of draft capital for never trade back Dave Gettleman. Especially especially if Jones doesn't pan out, they have all the draft capital in the world to move back up. I'm going to write something about that, but basically long story short that no, he's not going to pan out. Um, but uh, then they go to 21 or 22. I can't remember exactly where 20 because they trade with Chicago. Right. And they think they, they get Kadarius Tony there. Like now I'm not in love with Kadarius Tony as a player, but I think the way you maneuver the board. So actually, if I'm going to really talk about it, the way you maneuver the board, you get Kadarius Tony at 20 and then you get Aziz Ojolari in the second round. Like, God damn it. Like seriously, how do we, how did we allow this to happen? In terms of New York, like, A, how do we allow the Giants to do smart things? And B, how do we allow that player to fall there for them to take him? Because there was serious consideration for them of taking him at 11. And they got him in the second round. Uh, so that was that. So I was very salty about all three NFC East teams um, taking a really good player in the first round or aggregate when you look at their second round. And then the Giants, um, it was funny, rookie mistake or college mistake, if you will. The Giants took Tony at 20 or 21 or whatever it was. And apparently urban Meyer came out like, yeah, that was our guy. And we shit our pants. Cause we didn't know who to take after that, which is why they took Travis ETN, which makes no sense whatsoever for them to take a running back after they just found an undrafted running back who ran for a thousand yards over the night. Finished six in the NFL in rushing. And you took a running back with your first round pick. Don't get it. That, that, that one was the, one of the strangest picks to me, especially again, when you look back and say, urban that, was, Meyer, like, and that, ended up, that ended up being a theme of the entire draft of doubling down with, with players from the same school. The, yes. amount of, the amount of teams that drafted two of the same guys, two players in the same school back-to-back was absurd. It happened like four times. But that was another um, – that that one – so a couple ones, right? So um, 
that was a strange one. And then uh, the the Raiders taking Alex Leatherwood at 17. It's like, okay, you could like, you could say that like they, that was just a guy they really like it, but they've run into this reoccurring theme where they're grossly overdrafting the player they want. And I don't know whether that's Gruden is too, too stupid to be functional. I think that's a big piece of the puzzle. I don't know whether that's Mike Mayock really falling in love with the guy and just being like, fuck it. I don't care. I just want this guy. I think that's a piece of the puzzle. Um, and the general incompetence, as a whole is a big piece of the puzzle, but that's, I mean, they took, they took Leatherwood who was probably a second round pick too early this they year. They took three safeties. Yeah. That was, an, so um, I think it was that's Mayock weird. who really wanted to address the safety position. Maybe it was Gruden. I saw, I read something about this that they were really, really trying to address safety, which is why in my mock, I think that I had them taking Morig in round one. I think I had that um, anyway. So, but safety was a big one or offensive tackle was the two positions they were looking at. But they did that. Then they took Damon Arnett way too early last year. They reached for Cleveland Farrell, like at number four overall a few years ago. Like they just don't know what they're doing. And that continues to be a theme. And I think Mike Mayock gets fired this off season at some point. Yeah. I, I'll leave with this cause I got to run soon, but yeah. the, the, I don't know if I, I'm like, I want to say I'm, I'm 95% positive. I saw this somewhere. Uh, there's also a small 5% chance that like, I just thought of it in my head and was like, that sounds right. Which is basically what half of Twitter takes are. Um, I believe I've read somewhere that Mayock and Gruden don't like each other and like they have no idea what they're doing and they don't agree on anything and it's just a shit show and they just start taking players because they can't agree on anything. There might be a, I don't know how, I don't, yeah, I don't know how much validity it's that, but in my head that, that like I have seen that somewhere that they're, they are at odds and then like maybe, maybe they're different than what their scouts are seeing, but like there's definitely friction in that building. That and it could is be hundred percent true. Maybe, yeah, it could be just because they suck in there on, what, year four or five of Gruden, whatever it is. I think Gruden's just uh, an ADD squirrel. I just think he doesn't know yeah. what he wants and doesn't know how to build a team. And everyone, he's resting on winning a Super Bowl with Tony Dungy's team. That he did. That he, that he, that he did do. Right. Right after losing Right after losing because of the tuck rule. Right. After running, I mean, he built a really good team with the Raiders and then pretty much nothing ever since. So I will end it on there for the sake of time for both of us. Uh, so thank you very much again for everyone who's made it this far. Tune in for a few days from now. Once Pat and I plan, when we're going to do part two, as we reference where we cover picks two rounds, two through seven, and then round eight, if you will, with an undrafted free agent, uh, signing. The only um, undrafted free agent that we signed. The only deliberate undrafted free agent that we signed. Um, but yeah, tune in then. That'll be part two. We're going to deep dive on each one of those and talk about the recurring themes and how the depth chart shakes out as a result of that. But thank you so much. If you haven't subscribed to us in the usual channels, make sure you do so. But We'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Hail to the District podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.